Hey, Paul. Hey, what's up? How you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm feeling good. In fact, I feel the need. The what do you what do you need? Yeah, go. You take it from there. Uh, I feel the need. Well, do you need? Are you hungry? Do you need a, like a sandwich or something? You go get I, one. No, let's try to get. I feel the need. Mm-hmm. Paul, I, I feel the need. Ben, I don't think I can help you. <laughs> Paul, Paul, did you, Paul, did you even watch the movie? Yeah, yeah. So ben, I, I got it. I got. It, I got. It, I got I it. Feel that, yeah. Sorry. Here you go. I'll go first. I feel the need. The need to record a podcast. Uh, welcome to the reviewers. We're on a mission from God. Hey, hey, happy, uh, happy Top Gun to you hey. there, Ben. Uh, and a Top Gun to you, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> we saw it. We we didn't just see it. We saw both of them, didn't we? We saw both of them, man. It was so good. I, um, you know, it was one of those things. This is like just the, this is the summer blockbuster of the mm. year, right? Yes, uh, sir. The one we've been waiting for. Um, and so much fun. Uh, so much fun. Did you watch, did you watch the old one recently? Yeah, I watched uh, the uh, 1986. We can't call it old because like we were, I was, Dust. we were both born in 85, right? Yeah, I was born in 85, late 85. You're early 85. Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. So, yep. um, so no, it, it's not old. Um, no, it's quite young. Yeah, um, that's right. That's right. It's, it's yeah. a, a young adult, but, uh, but yes, I did see the original recently. The original. Thank you. Yeah. For and, um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've, always enjoyed the original what what are your uh memories of it did you did you watch it a lot growing up were you a big fan oh yeah so i think yeah i mean i remember watching this i remember watching top gun again in 86 i remember watching it probably for the first time um when i was in like maybe elementary school or middle school but i here's the thing I was just talking about this with my sisters i was with my sisters this past weekend and i think do you remember how you used to be able to record movies that were playing by like putting in a blank tape into the absolutely yeah, I do like manually record it. And what you would do is there are scenes that you would try to edit out by hitting pause or something on the recording device. So it didn't pick up that little part. Turns out I watched the unedited version and I'm not certain if I remember some of those scenes from when I was in <laughs> elementary school, they were not on the Adams family version of top gun. I can tell you that much. So, uh, uh, we, we, there, there's some, there's some hot and heaviness there that I had forgotten. Um, existed. that's right. Yeah, that's right. This is a top gun is like for all of its glory and wonderful memories. Um, you watch it back as an adult, and it's like one of those uh, one of those grocery store uh, uh, romance novels on the shelf, like right as you walk out. I mean, it's buddy, it's frisky. So yeah, man, I forgot the love story. I forgot how there, much. Of a there's love some story. steam to it. There's look, some steam. look, yeah. you try spending you know a couple of days around Tom Cruise and and not being sucked in. You, you better believe it. that's right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I get it. I get it, man. That volleyball scene, nothing like wearing jeans on the beach playing volleyball in the heat. I just thought, well, that's the most uncomfortable. I don't thing. know why our Olympic athletes don't do that. Seriously, I'm sitting on a good pair of Levi's. Uh, yeah. 
Yep, that's right. Yeah. Uh, no, I remember, yeah, Top Gun growing up as well. I don't ever really remember seeing it all the way through or anything, but uh, I, I remember loving the the Kenny Loggins song, uh, oh. Highway to the Danger Zone. Yeah. Although yeah. I didn't think it was called Highway to the Danger Zone. I thought it was called I Went to the Danger Zone. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so my dad had version recorded off of tv as well um and so i would watch that tape you know just just that little section where they're playing that yeah. song and i would just sing i went to the danger zone it sounds exactly like you were not it, wrong paul just I, I know it's not it's not a it really a lot big more sense, quite frankly yeah that i i have misunderstood um worse lyrics than that misunderstandings that are far less forgivable yeah, um, yeah. So consulted you because I think that you actually have a better argument to be made um, for this movie in particular. I went to the danger zone sounds a lot better than highway to the danger zone. Right. I've thought it multiple times myself, um, but far be it from me it. to criticize uh, Mr. Loggins. So, yeah, saw it again. Uh, yeah. Enjoyed it. You know, I, I enjoyed revisiting it and I've, always kind of thought since I have seen it, you know, a, a few times, you know, from start to finish that like, okay, it's good. Like, yeah. I don't know. I've never just been like one of those. That's a crazy fan about it. No, I actually went back and watched it and I was like, why did I love this more than I like, like, how did I love this so much? I mean, mm -hmm. you kind of watch it and you're like the, the plot, uh, it's just not like, it's not like, um, it's good. Yeah. Uh, it's not solid. Uh, yeah. But it, it's good. Yeah, know. it's it's yeah. good, you know, Fine. Uh, and and uh, but then but let's talk this about this little movie comes out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a couple weeks ago. And and you nailed it when you said block, blockbuster hit of the summer. Um, yeah. I can't. I can't imagine something dethroning this because it is just uh, it's so good. It's it's great. I have not talked to a person who's seen it who didn't really love it right and and, and I've, I've, the argument has been made multiple times that this one beats the first one um oh definitely yeah uh, and, and i i think that's whole, like fully true and how often do you get a sequel that's better than the original uh this is one of the handful of them um, yeah yeah exist. So, especially one that goes back 36 years later right. i mean right. you know everybody's doing the legacy cast, you know, right. reboots, all this sort of stuff. And nine times out of 10, the best case scenario is that, Oh, well, they did a good job with that, you know, right. but it doesn't come close to the original necessarily. And for them to, to do that with this and uh, just weave the, the stories of the two together, but do something new with this one yeah. is is really just remarkable and you know i understand people have different opinions about tom cruise you know whether they like him or or, or what but that man is he's a movie star he is a blockbuster movie star and i think it's really interesting reading some of the story behind top gun maverick and how he basically said no we're not putting this out during covid we're not sending it to a streaming service like a lot of other studios were doing with their tentpole films 
He yep. said, we're, this has to be seen in theaters. We're saving yep. it for theaters. I don't care how long it takes. And I am really glad that he did that because I mean, not only does it deserve to be seen in theaters, I've went and saw it uh, also in IMAX. Oh yeah. And, yeah. Oh my gosh, man. Yeah. That's so good. that's why they make IMAX. Sometimes I'll walk out of an IMAX movie and like be like, well, I don't yeah. know if I gained a whole lot, but <laughs> this was just amazing. Yeah. It was outstanding. I, I mean, I think kind of speaking to the Tom Cruise thing, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, Tom Cruise, he's a little arrogant, right? I mean, he's a little full of himself. Um, mm -hmm. And when, you know, when he originally made this movie, I have no idea what his age would have been, probably late 20s um, when he made the first one, mid 20s, late 20s. Sure. Um, you kind of don't have the reason to be as arrogant as you were. And he was a little bit too much in the first one, right? And I could see how that would turn people off. He's, he's calmed down, I think, uh, in, in his acting. Like, I mean, he was... He was uh, he was a Tom Cruise in like uh, digestible uh, chunks, you know. I mean, like bite-sized chunks. I thought he was great in this. I didn't, I didn't see the arrogance and like the hubris that he kind of has from before. I think he's actually pretty um, pretty tame in this overall. But quite quite frankly, yeah, he he could. His legacy is that he probably could deserve to be more arrogant than he was. But I thought it was great. Yeah, I thought he was just the perfect amount of confident, but not like yeah. Exactly. Well, actually, you know. I, I think that Maverick was more lovable in this one, one than yeah. the, the, and I know that part of his persona is to have that arrogance and, and he certainly, you know, there is a degree of, of the confidence and everything sure. in, in the second film, but he's um, yeah, I think just with age and, and experience and all that, it's, yeah. it's uh, softened a little bit and uh, he's just, a it's lot. a lot easier to love him. He demands excellence, man. He, I saw, I read, or somebody was telling me about um, the way that when they filmed the the football scene in this new one on the beach, and mm -hmm. apparently a friend of mine was telling me this. I don't know how true it is, but uh, he had read it somewhere, and um, he apparently, you know, kind of they they finished the shot and everything, so everybody went to the bar to celebrate finishing like this scene. They've been working on it for for a week or whatever. And he went back and didn't join him at the bar, but instead went and watched the cut of it. And uh, then shows up the bar, calls him later and is like, you're not done. We're doing this for another week. And made them refilm the whole thing all over wow. again the next week. And um, cause he just, he, I mean, he demands excellent shots. Uh, and he, you know, he's, he's not a director in this. I don't think I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure no. he's a producer, mm -mm. but yeah, uh, he's just an actor. But when your act, lead actor starts kind of calling the shots like that, that's when, you know, you've kind of made it as a, probably. A, oh a, yeah well-respected uh actor probably yeah. ticked off some of those people but nevertheless he's good yeah that's right i mean what you can't really argue with it like he's right. he's tom cruise what are you gonna do right. so so i think it's fair to say liked the first film loved the second film just as as you know a great um the plot was better i mean like just the yeah. storyline was better um and the action was i mean the action was good and the graphics are better, right? I mean, you can't, oh, like, there, was no, there was no way that they're going to compare a 1986 movie to the, to the today's technology of like capturing shots and capturing like the speed and the sound and the, all the quality is just so much better. So, yeah. Yeah. All yeah. out of, loved it. So definitely enjoyed it as a entertainment experience. In fact, I talked with um, Kristen on our last episode about how uh the value that a movie like top gun maverick has as just escapism and how oh. 
it's so much fun and needed sometimes just to get lost in a movie. And, yeah. you know, I told her that this film came out the, basically the, the week of the Uvalde shootings and yeah. just how heavy we, we've all been wrestling and, and dealing with that. Um, it was nice for just two and a half hours to be in a different mental place and um, just escape for, yeah. for a little bit. And I think that that is a gift that movies can give us in addition right. to all the other gifts of being thought provoking and, and the movies that I think leave us. Sometimes we need to be left with um, very difficult feelings and we don't need to feel good and things, but uh, sometimes we do. And I was, I was grateful that this provided that. Uh, yeah. Kind of to that point, um, that's a, that's a really good point. And this this reminds me of something that struck me in the second one. Um, they never name who the enemy is. No, nope. um, you, you never right. know who um, like where is the, the, this mission is taking place and who is this enemy and they they never name it. And it was so nice to have you have to have the 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 friction of a of a antagonist to kind of propel the action right um mm -hmm. but there's no they didn't like name it so that everybody like watching the movies like yeah anti-blank and fill in the country right. or fill in the, the group or whatever and instead it was just like there's this clear mission um and this team of uh top gun you know um pilots and stuff have to have to accomplish it anyways it was just it was refreshing to realize i didn't know who there was yes. no name of that guy um, it, very they had some uranium they didn't yep, need it, it. Yeah, that's that's all we know. Don't know where right. they are, and yeah. we don't, and we There's don't an need to. Close by. Um, no. That's all. We know, so. <laughs> that's right. Um, cool deal. So, like I said, we loved it on Love. on multiple levels. But let's talk about the Top Guns from mm -hmm. a theological, spiritual level. What's what's yeah. how do we enjoy them when we try and uh, apply this spiritual lens to them? Uh, are yeah. there any takeaways that uh, that you have? Are there any sermons within this movie, so to speak, yeah. or these movies? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I mean, you know, I think that there's there's a lot of shallow, easy grabs for like lines and stuff that you could probably steal for a, a sermon. I mean, there's things about sacrifice and camaraderie and teamwork and all that type of thing. Those are yeah. great. Um, but I, you know, I think that you, um, you, you probably have a little bit of kind of tapping into kind of some of your wisdom on this. We were um, talking just before it a little bit about um, like gifts in general and like the, yeah. the, the way in which those guys come together. Um, well, Ben, I know that you're wanting, you know, deep, deep truths here. And so I'm just going to tell you an idea for a license plate that I had when I was watching this. Um, and, <laughs> and buddy, I just think Not God is my cut. I think God is my co-pilot. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. God is my goose. God, God is my goose. Talk to me, goose. Talk to me, God. To yep. You yep, know. Yep. Goose, there. where the D is silent. Uh, right. <laughs> oh, oh I think we both, I think we just blasphemed um, both God and goose. Somehow. And Edwards. Yeah. RIP. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you mentioned uh, – an idea that I had about, about gifts and something that yeah. we were talking about. And this hit me when I was watching Maverick uh, recently, the second movie. And, you know, it's really interesting. And there are a couple places in the movie where folks demonstrate um, shock and surprise that Captain Pete Mitchell 
is only Captain Pete Mitchell. Right. Um, I say only. I'm I am terrible with military rankings and, and and the hierarchy of things, but Captain is not as high as you can get, and it's certainly not where the characters in the movie who have followed Maverick's career assume that he would right. be. Yeah, right. but uh, evidently it is the case that. Once you advance past captain, you're kind of out of the cockpit at that point. You're out of the plane. You're you're teaching, you're managing, you're overseeing, you're commanding, um, all of those sorts of things. That's that's the higher rank. And um, in a world where a lot of people want to chase, you know. The more coveted spots, the the, the glory, uh, put, the, the glory, yeah. yeah, the positions that are fewer. Uh, it is a bit of a shock that uh, Pete Mitchell does not want to have any of those positions. Right. That he is uh, consciously chosen, deliberately chosen to stay a captain so that he can fly. And it got me thinking about how Paul, you know, will talk about like in first Corinthians, for instance, where he talks about the body having many different parts and each part being like uniquely designed for its own purpose and put in its own place. And uh, he talks other places about us having different gifts and how some of those gifts are going to be more upfront uh, in the, uh, i.e. like in the front, on the front of the stage, more visible, uh, maybe get a little bit more attention or prestige than some of the other parts. But the parts that are up front couldn't be there without the parts that were more behind the scene. That's right. And I just kept thinking about that a lot as I was considering uh, Maverick and his decision to, to be a captain. Now, obviously, from the movie viewers seat he is up front because it's a whole movie about him but within his world in the eyes of the people looking at him he chose to bypass that prestige so that he could live most fully into his gift you know it it, it's like if his part on the body was you know a knee or something and hey you could be promoted to eyeball something (laughs) nice and central on the face but but he's just like no i really love being a knee if if i if i go anywhere else i'm going to miss it i'm not going to be as good for the body if i do something other than this purpose that i serve and i'll be honest man like if i can be this is only you and me listening to this right yeah, and our moms. Just our yeah, moms. and our moms. That's right. Um, and um, not a whole lot more. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. But uh, that's a hard lesson for me because, yeah. you know, you don't get into, I don't get into preaching ministry, pastoral ministry, all that, because I love the spotlight, right? I mean, I think there are, I think there are a lot of people who are attracted to it for that reason. Um that's certainly not why I'm in the the business that I'm doing. Obviously, if I wasn't called to this, I'd be doing, you know, swimsuit modeling or, um, yeah, you know, definitely much I, more flattering. Yes. But there is a, a bit of, I, I've always felt like a, a person that, um, that enjoys being up front a little sure. more sure. that enjoys being seen. And, and certainly one who has 
always followed that nudge to continue climbing and pursuing and, and doing. Um, and I don't, I'm trying to be as honest and self-reflection as, yeah. as possible with that and, um, and search myself for any sinful motives and, and all of that. And I think some of that is just naturally who I am. And then where, where parts that aren't of me pop up, I, I try and, um, beware of those and, and not follow those, but it's been hard for me to imagine, um, being in somebody else's shoes where, uh, I might just be content with a more, with a role that's right. more, uh, behind the scenes, not, you know, recognized, uh, all that sort of stuff. And honestly have a great, great respect for, for such folks, um, yeah. who can be happy yeah. and content and everything without, without having that. I think that's, that's yeah. really beautiful. And, and really in some ways makes those folks, um, who are, are happy to be where they are, uh, stronger than some of the rest of the yeah. folks who quote unquote need to be out front. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think it's a, that's a really interesting point. And oftentimes the, um, it's interesting because sometimes you come to that realization of one of the things that one of the language, the language that we use kind of around here is the language of the second chair, right? Being a person that's, that's meant for the second chair, right. Of, of essentially not being the person in the front and the spotlight. That's right. And, um, ben, and, ben, you played trombone, didn't you? Yes, I did. Just like did. me. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Were you first chair trombone? Every year. Oh, you know it, baby. Me too. Yeah, that's right. I didn't let it. There's no way I was going to be second chair. I didn't lose those little competitions. Um, so yeah. the leading and the idea of leading from the second chair is actually a popular book that we've read in leadership um, here at the church. I don't know if you've ever read it before. It has um, a lot of good um, nuggets of wisdom. I don't um, read a lot of books. I just let you summarize them for me. Watch, yeah, you just watch movies. I get it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so there is this... Uh, uh, there's this guy that's a friend of mine who is retiring from ministry, who's 72 years old. I just went to his retirement party uh, about three weeks ago, two weeks ago. Um, and he's retiring as a Methodist pastor in Pittsburgh, North Carolina. And in the Methodist pastor, I mean, you know, this, um, you know, this world, uh, Paul, I know you're not a Methodist pastor, but you know, that like we get moved around a lot. Um, we get, and, and, and as you move around, the hope is that you get, to someplace that's a little bit bigger than the previous place or pays a little bit better than sure. the previous place or a little bit bigger, or maybe a little bit more urban, um, you know, or a little bit more city life as opposed to the rural. And I'll just say Ray Gooch is the man who um, has served a two point charge, which means he has two churches and he preaches at one at nine o'clock and the other at 11. And he's done that now for like 39 years in the same place. Wow. And he's a man that at some point I just said, how did you, like how in the world, and especially in our Methodist ladder climbing world, how in the world did you like have the humility just to say, no, I'm pretty content at my two churches, neither of which have more than 70 people at a service, 60 people yeah. at a service, um, and, uh, and do that for your entire career. And he was just like, well, I mean, the, the reason he actually stayed there for so long is that 
he left his first church and was heartbroken by the fact that he had to leave them. So he decided he's never going to leave a church again. Mm. But then he's like, I just learned to like have roots here. And there's a more happiness that come from my roots than come from my branches in some ways. And I was like, that's an interesting way of phrasing it. Um, yeah. He just thought that his, where he had been planted was a place where he could do the best ministry. And he's the type of guy that again, 72 years old, all the way until his his last day will be June uh, 26th, all the way until his last day. He's also leading the youth group at every Sunday night. So he preaches twice on Sundays oh and leads the youth group at 6 p.m. where they both come together, the two churches, and there's probably no more than six youth, seven youth of these two small churches combined. And man, it's just that level of humility and that level of understanding where you fit into the world has to be not just like a rewarding thing, but probably the most liberating thing to, mm, to get I, off yeah. of a hamster wheel and just say, these are my gifts. And I, I've, you know, I've tried to live in that too. I'm, I'm a, Paul, I think you and I are in similar boats of just being like, I appreciate the spotlight. I like it. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've, uh, I'm mindful of it. Um, but there is in, in the seasons of life where I've kind of learned to take a back seat. Um, there is something so liberating about, about just saying, that's not my thing. And I don't yeah. have to force it to be my thing. Um, and I'm not chasing after anymore. I can just like set it down and not worry about it. Um, exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. The- you, yeah. I can, um, you know, I've had the opportunity in the last couple of years to make some choices that, you know, yeah, probably weren't the most like, wouldn't scratch that desire to have as much attention or whatever else, but it would allow me to be a lot happier and yeah. more content. And like you said, kind of just, you know, hop off the hamster wheel and say, I'm just going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to be me and, be um, yeah. and be happy. And then, what you do is to scratch your attention itch. You just start a podcast with one of your friends That's and right. have right. yeah. tens of people listen tens to it every week. every week. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Thank you, mom and mom for listening 10 times over. <laughs> so, That's right. Um, there's a beautiful, let me get, share with you one quick little beautiful quote. I, I, I just walked out of another retirement party, like literally right before this for, for the lead pastor of my church. Um, uh, where, where I'm an associate and he is, uh, the, I adore the man. And he just made this beautiful reference. He said, um, he was referring to another friend of his who had retired and he said his retirement party, he just walked up to the microphone and said, Hey, um, I'm, I'm just the donkey that Jesus rode in on. And I'm grateful for that. Um, <laughs> like that's his understanding of his own perspective. Um, and I, I'm not sure if you use the word doc, donkey. Right. But did he, did good, he go um, King James? King James yeah, translation James, on it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. He went on KJV. And, uh, and, but I think that's a beautiful image too, of just being the idea of like in the, in the, in the scheme of ministry, just for pastors alone, like um, if you're not pointing back to Jesus in general, you're, you're, you're not doing it right. Um, um, but, you know. Yeah. I, I love that. And just being, being where you're gifted and then thriving there. I mean, like Maverick, thrived being in his position like and it helped the greater body they would not have been able to accomplish that mission that's right the world would not be as as safe as good right exactly if he were trying to be something more than than what he was so yeah so thanks tom and and quite frankly uh you know quite frankly you know goose wouldn't have been dead had he sorry that's too soon (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Oh man, jeez. 
But speaking of which, that's a good segue. It's talking a little bit about is grief. It? Um, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a segue. I don't know it's if it's a good segue. one. It's a way to get there. Sure. Sure. Okay. Um, very pastoral have you been? And yes, let's um, transition to uh, a, another theme that I think is pretty prevalent uh, yeah, and easy to, to note. Uh, yeah, grief. And yeah. it's interesting. You look at the connective tissue between Top Gun and then Top Gun Maverick, 36 years in between them, and mm. it's Goose's death. You know, mm. it's, it's grief. Um, at the very beginning, you see where Maverick's living apparently in this airplane hangar and you know, he's got this bulletin board and, and it's nothing but pictures of, of him and goose and uh, goose's uh, son and, um, and his family. And it's, it's obvious that this is still something that's weighing on him. And I, I found it very interesting that, there's a phrase that kind of tracks through uh, the original and then the reboot, I guess. And it's the phrase of letting go. Um, basically, mm -hmm. shortly after Goose um, dies, well, I think quite literally when they're in the ocean together after they've right. ejected, uh, right. I believe the, you know, rescue team says like rescue no, team says uh you, you've got to let him go obviously physically you, you have to let him go and he was having a hard time doing that um but uh then shortly after uh and i can't remember who because it's been a, a couple weeks since i've seen it but one of the higher ranking officers is talking to tom cruise um as he's brushing his teeth in his tidy whities in fact and uh he tells him you know like again, this is freshly after Goose has died. He says, you've got to let go. You got to right. let him go. And yeah. it's like, really? it's like if you fly long enough, you're bound to lose somebody. Yeah. So like which is also not very helpful. I don't think. No. Which is, <laughs> no. Yeah. You know, I know this stinks, but you better get used to it. it because if, Yeah, it, it is, happens. Like, it um, is what it is. It's not necessarily the best um, remedy. No, exactly. So, um, yeah, on that, and I was interpreting this theme of you got to let go. You got to let go as uh, premature. And I was thinking of how so often we want to rush people through their grief because it's uncomfortable for us. Right. You know, right. you think about going through a funeral line and, and hearing all those trite phrases like he, Oh, he's in a better place or, heaven needed another angel or yep. all these sorts of things. We, we say these because we are uncomfortable with somebody feeling grief. We are uncomfortable with a terrible truth in this world, which is that death exists. And we want to do something about it so that we don't have to look at the pain of it. Right. You know? And so in those situations, the best thing that we have to do are words and casseroles. And so we bake people a lot of food and we say a lot of things. We, we say things that we, you know, think will help and, and we say them with good intentions, but they end up causing a lot of harm. And yeah. I don't think it was doing Maverick any good to hear 
a couple hours after his best friend had died, uh, you, you got to let go. Yeah. It's hard, man. The, you know, the, the, uh, the concept of grief just in general is something that we don't do. And I'll tell you who, who like uh, speaking, I'm not trying to speak for, um, for both of us, Paul, but I think it's like, particularly in the world of, of uh, white maledom, um, the idea of grieving uh, is not something that uh, we do. It's definitely not something that's modeled. It's not something that's like, there's nothing, nothing, you're not supposed to do it. Like you are supposed to get over it. And that's seen obviously in the culture, I think of the, of, of Top Gun. Um, but, the, but grief can be such a gift. Um, uh, there's a, um, I mean, there, there's a, there's an old quote. Um, I can't remember who, who said it, but it was something to the effect of like grief being um, it's a field that has to be dug deep um, because God's agriculture doesn't grow anything less. Like the, like the, the mm. you have to till like the deep, the grief has to be super deep and get deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's the only way for the work of God to grow in your life. Um, and I always found it to be a beautiful quote just because it, um, it helps you to embrace it. It helps you to lean into it a little bit more so, um, mm -hmm. and not to skirt around it, but we don't do a great job. in. I think it really is the church in dealing with grief. And I think that in church world, the, the grief, um, we kind of play the grief card. We, we, we try to like model our approach to grief in the way that the world does, which is to neglect it and ignore it and let it go. And I think the church world, we're taught to lament, right? Lament is the, is the words that we're given to go mm -hmm. through the process of grief. Um, and those, the language of lament that is uh, found throughout scripture, found throughout particularly the Psalms, um, is one of the real gifts um, of, of, I think, of the church, particularly in times of these, uh, kind of our historic faith. And I'll say that the, the, the place... Um, this is just in my experience of having having um, been in circumstances of this. The people that have taught me grief or how to how to walk through lament have been my um, friends of color who have who are who are in places of lament. I think that um, the black church um, knows how to lean into lament in a way that's true and pure and authentic, but it is also names the grief so that God's work might be done more fully in people's lives. And just, we just don't do it well. Um, uh, you know, we neglect it. It's, it's, uh, it's in our happy go lucky race to the top to be the general. We kind of neglect the grief that can come. I think you're, I think you're right because it's counter to, it's counter to that narrative. Um, have you seen the way down? I have not. No, it's a uh, documentary uh, series on HBO Max right now. Um, and it's about this, some might call her preacher. I guess, you know, she, uh, she was a preacher, uh, named Gwen Shamblin, Laura. And, uh, she founded what started out as like a Christian weight loss type of ministry that was called the mm. way down W E I G H. And, mm. uh, but basically that kind of evolved into a platform through which she could build this whole brand of ministry uh you know it was promoted as as a christian you know uh, real, uh denomination but i i don't know which denomination it would closely identify with it was they were very much um yeah cbf thing <laughs> no not baptist oh, um yeah, right. 
no, not not Baptist. Not even some of our uh, some of our stranger, uh, our fun cousins, bre- yeah. <laughs> brethren on the family tree uh, would qualify for this. Uh, yeah, it definitely falls in the category of cult, cultish behavior, yeah. cultish um, way of structuring uh, their their church and all this sort of stuff. But it was all about it was all happiness. It was all praise it was all you know losing pounds and only the good stories and anything that contradicted that narrative was not talked about uh if you were a person who contradicted that narrative you got kicked out basically or shunned until or shamed until you changed and so the the people former church members who were interviewed uh, remarked on how the church did a horribly with death uh, the way that they dealt with death was that they didn't deal with it uh they didn't like they buried it yeah they well done uh yeah they they could not incorporate that narrative of grief into all of their you know good news only um god only blesses type of philosophy and yeah. so they just ignored it. And yeah, I, I think that's a temptation that we face um, as Christians. And yeah, ultimately the story has, an ha- has a happy ending. Yeah. There's a resurrection and we rejoice in that. But I am so grateful that we don't only have Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, but we have Saturday in between you know, and we, we can't, we can't rush ourselves through the crucifixion to get to the resurrection. Like we need, we need to sit. And, um, sometimes that's months. Sometimes it's years. Sometimes it's decades. Yeah. The case, what was the case in in this, uh, film and, and this story is that it took, you know, Tom Cruise, it took Maverick, um, decades and and he was still holding on to that loss he still hadn't let go and so i think it was interesting how whereas in the first movie everybody was saying you need to let go you need to let go and it was like no he he he's not ready for that 36 years later he might be at a point where letting go is something that he can entertain and in fact when he's meeting with uh, Val Kilmer, who I was so happy to see in the film yeah. um, after watching that documentary about him on Amazon Prime. And um, I love how they incorporated just his story into his character. And, uh, you know, but what Iceman ends up telling Maverick is you have to let go. You have to yeah. let him go. You have to let Goose go. Obviously not let like forget about him or anything right. like that, but you have to let go of this guilt you have to let go of the part of this grief that holds you back and keeps you from living fully and taking risks, you know, because it was the grief over Goose that was keeping him from letting Goose's son, uh, Rooster, that's his mm-hmm. call name, not his real name, but Miles Miles Teller plays him, um, that's what was keeping him from, from letting rooster really go and, and, and live his fullest life and be his fullest self. Yeah. 
Yeah, the the idea that like we're we're supposed to enter. I mean, death is part of what it means to be human, right? Um, mm-hmm. um, and um, but thank God we're not supposed to stay there, right? Uh, there, there's there's a little bit of that, and similar with grief. Like grief is part of being human. Uh, but by God's grace, we don't stay there, right? Um, mm. and the, the story continues. Uh, try to try to jump over grief uh, doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like the book, Paul, that I'm reading to Elliot every night. We're going on a bear hunt. We're gonna catch we a big catch one. a big one. Yep, yep. Um, uh, it's a beautiful day. We're not scared. Uh oh, of swamp. We can't go over it. Can't go around it. Gotta go. Gotta through go it. through it. Squelch, squirt, squelch, squirt. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that idea that grief is a similar thing where it's yeah. just the nature of being human is the idea of trying to go around it, trying to go over it, under it. You can't do it. You've got to go no, through it. You cheat um, the process. And and it's it's hard. To, I don't know. What do you think about this? I mean, how do you find that fine line as a pastor of knowing when to say let go? Because there's there's some sense in which let letting go is the worst thing you could possibly say mm-hmm. in certain scenarios. And in some cases it's the best possible thing that you can say. Yeah. I'm just wondering you as, as a person who's done plenty of pastoral care, how do you find that? Um, how yeah. do you find, how do you know when is it? Yeah. Um, you know, dev it's, it's definitely situational and, and based sure. on each individual circumstance. Um, and I think that's why it, one of the qualities that, good pastors are called to have and that that you and i hope to hope to emulate is is you know empathy and intuition and insight and listening um so that we really can sense where people are because it would be great if there was a textbook that said at five years you know you should be doing such and such yeah Yeah, but um but that's not the way it is and so i think if we're if we've noticed in somebody that they've had multiple opportunities to make decisions that would help them embrace the beauty of life, uh, help them to enjoy God more fully, enjoy life more fully, not forget their lost loved one necessarily, but by all means, absolutely not. But to um, live a life where they can still sense the goodness that helps balance out the grief, the light that helps balance out the dark. Um, If we see them continually turn down those um, opportunities, then I think that that might be uh, the territory in which we we could nudge and and say um you know don't let grief over this death Mm. cause your death Mm. you know Mm. um and talking about how to to honor the people that we grieve um we can live well and um live in a way that, that they would be happy about do some of the things that um, that they would want to do if they were still here. Mm-hmm. So. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, is that how you would do it? I did do the exact same thing. Yeah, I think that you think you, think you nailed it. Yeah, I'm glad I could Good. share that. Glad I got the right answer. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it, it is just hard to, to to discern. I think that you're right on the idea of 
um, of like when grief, uh, yeah, when when their death causes your death, that's yeah. that's you know, or cross, yeah. or their death causes you to lose your life, right? Or to you 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 to to to, to not be able to find it. Um, that's yeah. problematic. When when uh, it, it just it's so hard. I, I mean, I've you know, I've I've got congregants in all places on that grief spectrum, right? Some people who 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 have lost a loved one in the past year and who authentically, I believe, are done grieving, um, and they you know, and that's just right. the nature of who they are um, and how they've gone through their process. I've got other people who have lost loved ones 16 years ago uh, and are still fully mm. in the grieving process um you know and it's it's hard to to strike that balance but i do think yeah. that like the 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 same letting go that can be so hard can sometimes be the biggest it's like letting go of the ambition like we talked about earlier i mean there's a little bit of just like setting it down um handing mm. it over to god is a little bit of just where you, where i get to a place with some people um yeah so yeah you know, you know I, I i will say that you know it is it is easy to ponder theoretical, you know, hypothetical circumstances and, and comment on them. And, but, but I understand that it's, it's very different living in the situation and, and being in the shoes of somebody experiencing yeah. profound grief. And, and that, yeah. that did kind of hit me as I was watching um, Maverick and just wondering, you know, seeing that he had held on to this for, for all these years and wondering how do you live with something that you can't get over? Like, mm. you know, uh, the loss of a child, it has to be, I, I, I can only imagine the most difficult grief that anybody could, could ever endure. Um, I, I just, I, 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 it's terrifying to even consider and, um, how, how do you go on living after something like that, living in a way that, that you can still, um, embrace beauty in life and see beauty in life. And I, I think that there, there are absolutely people who do it and, um, and I'm so grateful and so admirable, uh, I so admire them, um, but that's, yeah, that's something that I found myself wondering. Uh, and I just wanted to state it because I don't want to at all imply that like some things you can just get over or, or whatever. Yeah. I, you know, I, again, I think that this is where there's so much to be learned from, um, from other pockets of our, you know, we're, you and I are kind of, I hate to say we live in bubbles, but we do have a little bit of our own understanding of the world that comes from just being our backgrounds which is like both born smithfield both white both male then there's a little bit of other pockets of the world who do have do you like, think that people didn't know that we were white until you just said that buddy uh <laughs> i think it was pretty clear <laughs> like, I, don't, uh, I can't remember what it is you went off about a few weeks ago uh, that made it pretty darn clear that, that you were white um you know maybe they were confused with me um, all right all right yeah, I'm just, <laughs> that's funny. Um, the, um, but the, the, but there are other cultures, right. And there are other pockets of the world who have, who literally have grief practice, like lamenting practices where, mm. where, where, um, where it's not just of, of it's, um, you know, and I feel like I've seen it 
and I hate to say I've seen it as an observer, but I haven't been in that same place of lament in certain places, but I've been in the room where um, it is there, there are sounds, there are physical sounds that people make that are part of the grieving process that gets mm-hmm. it out of you. It's just cathartic. There is a physical element of it that is grieving that um, allows you to get out. And then, I mean, I think there's very true, this idea of sitting on the mourner's bench and, and, and being on the mourner's bench and, um, and knowing how to embrace that space is so important for us to do. And it's the thing that I wish the church, particularly the white church, would learn to wrap its head around um, and learn to offer to our congregants in a way that's just more than, more than, um, I mean, yeah, all the feeding and stuff, the casseroles, don't stop the casseroles, keep those coming. But not. like the idea of it just being a little bit of, like the, the Kate Bowler's book, right? Everything happens for a reason. Um, mm-hmm. And those little pithy quotes that we offer as explanations, trying to explain all the way that when we don't, we don't know why it happened, right? Um, and and I, I don't know, um, maybe it's the desire. I think that we sometimes, now I'm just, now you just sent me off to the moon with this thought. But I think that we sometimes, we, we just have a tendency in our in our culture to try to explain things away because we don't like uncertainty we don't like questions we don't like not knowing um and grief is a big fat question mark it's a big Mm -hmm. black box that people enter into and you're not certain necessarily when they're going to come out and you're not certain what it looks like until you're in there Um, uh, and and i wish we would learn how to just go into it um and practices for like living in there until we're ready to come out of it i don't know it's just i think it's part of our desire to kind of play god sometimes um and, and, and be people who don't embrace our humanness as much as we should. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, good word, man. Good word. I like that. I like that image of the, that, that black box that we just don't know, but um, until we spend time in it. So what else, what else in the top gun mythos struck a spiritual chord with you? Yeah. I mean, I really like the idea of just, um, there's something about the idea of, of that team not being able to do what they needed to get done unless they rely fully on the team. It is, it is a, that, that top gun, though it is like, there's a little bit of like competition, obviously mm-hmm. to be top gun and to be the number one. Um, there is a sense of you cannot do it without your wingman. Right. Um, yep. Uh, and, you and never that, leave your wingman. You never leave your wingman and you can't, you know, um, and there's a sense in which just, it's a beautiful reflection a little bit of the way in which we do life together. Um, uh, you know, and I don't know, sometimes we try, the, the world tries to make it put, put us in our own little rat races to be the best and to be the top. But, but at the end of the day, that, that team, especially in this movie, the new one, you see a lot more of like, it is impossible for us to do, life alone i love the comedic part where um uh, rooster goes back to sit so, uh i don't know if we're are we doing spoilers here we might oh we're spoiling yeah it. We're, we're spoiling it um but i really love just the comedic idea of them going back to save one another and the idea of that that being kind of the standard of, of what we do for one another um mm. you know i we, we talked about this when we talked about um saving private ryan and the idea of sacrifice and the idea of laying down one's life for other people. Um, uh, I, I take that very seriously and I don't take that seriously in the literal. I don't mean I take that seriously in the literal sense. I don't think that we are all called to like physically lay down our lives for one another, mm-hmm. but I do think that we are all called to put others priorities ahead of our other pe- person's priorities ahead of our own. And you see a little bit of that 
metaphorically in this, obviously it's a little bit more literal with the saving of lives and fighter pilots, but it's just a beautiful yeah. thing that I've, I've been wrestling with probably for the past like two years in, in trying to help um, trying to help people see that passage of scripture, greater have no love than uh, greater mm-hmm. have no love than this, that one laid down his life for his brother. Um, seeing that beyond just physical death, but yeah. seeing that death to self and death to um, desires and wants and needs that step on your toes. Mm-hmm. Like, I want the best possible thing for you. Right? Yeah. So. It, you know, and that was partially a, a, a theme there of the climax of the original movie was, you know, Maverick, um, yeah. he needed to be top gun. You know, he had, right. he had to be the best yeah. of the best and all that. Yeah. And uh, he, he ended up not being, and in the end where they got called into that, that uh, unexpected mission. Um, yeah. And Iceman was the leader of that mission, uh, yeah. but uh, Maverick was his wingman, which was yeah. not, a position that he was used to playing, right? Um, yeah. But he he put others ahead of himself in that instance, yeah. and um, yeah, and that was a big point there of, of that critical moment. Yeah. So, what, um, about, what about you? Give me give me a good give me a good one to land the plane on. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Take that one. Take that joke. So um okay there there are a couple that i noticed um i'll just briefly mention that uh i think i i love the idea of don't think it but do you know Mm -hmm. and in the first movie uh tom cruise or maverick says if you think up there you're dead you know and and then in the reboot it was you know don't think just do and i think that that really says something about the importance of feeling the moment and that it's important for us to to have knowledge and to study scripture and to uh, know theology and understand like the ABCs of our faith and, and, and all of that. But there we cannot lose that there is a feeling to this. I can't stand when I hear people discredit uh, the role that feelings play in faith. Obviously, it's not the whole thing. And if you are flying solely on your feelings, then that's that's not wise because you know your feelings are fallible and and everything else. But God gave them to us, you know, and I like to think that God is so big that God could never be contained simply by some theological formula or doctrine or whatever else. There has to be something that pulls at your heart and compels you in a moment. And I don't think that we would have any of the great uh, leaders throughout history that we have had if not for that ability to follow the spirit of God in a given moment and, and act and stand up when something needs to be said mm-hmm. or done or sacrificial act needs to be made. And, um, so I, we can't lose that piece of our faith. And so, yeah, while Maverick is very much an extreme example of, yeah. uh, of feeling, uh, I love that, that that is included. Um, yeah. that's a good point. It's really good. Of course it is. Thank you very much. That, yeah. Okay. 
pump the brakes there, Maverick. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so the other, uh, another one I'll briefly mention is as I watch both of these films, really, but particularly singing the newer one with the better graphics and all that, I was just so amazed at what we as humans are able to achieve. Like I walked away with such an appreciation for, you know, these, the fact that we can fly at all is amazing and that we figured out to uh, like a hundred years ago. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's that's bananas on its on its own and that we have progressed in that relatively short amount of time on the scale of history uh, to where we can now, without even thinking about it, break the, spa- uh, the, the sound barrier travel faster than the speed of sound um, that we can fly these planes that can, you know, perform such precise moves and go at such speeds and that somebody's regular day-to-day job can be to do something that is so continually on the verge of death, but we have discovered how to do that safely and that we can build these aircrafts with all these capabilities and that we can land these things that are going how however you know quick just incredibly fast that we can land them on an aircraft carrier in the middle of the ocean that has only got a very limited runway like it's just it's it's bonkers i mean that we're stopping these planes with a big thick cable um it's just really impressive and and inspiring when you think about wow what we can really do if we put our minds to stuff and it was also challenging to me because we need to put our minds to some better stuff than Mm -hmm. we're doing. I think a lot of these problems that that you and I preach about every week, Ben, or that, that we notice when we turn on the news, if we can do some of the stuff that we are doing, heck, if we can make a movie like this, just the the physical act of making this movie about these planes was ridiculous. I found myself thinking the whole time, one, good gracious, how much gas are they spending, you, you know, or paying for <laughs> because um, it's pretty high right now. And those, those jokers take up a lot. But next to that, I was thinking, how did they shoot this? How did they do this? If we can figure out things like this, how to make a movie like this, how to, how to create planes like this. And, you know, we can certainly figure out some of these bigger problems that, that plague our society. It's just, do we want to, you know, right. right. That's a great point, man. You know, and I, I love the, I love that you're just the image of like how amazing it is that we are who we are and who we've become. I mean, it is, is it is mind blowing to think about it's, it's a mind blowing to still think that we are still nowhere near the, the potential of who we could fully be right. right. Uh, of, of our, our human potential. I kind of think it's created to be. And then beyond that, obviously we're, we're like nowhere close. The little things that we've done, is nowhere close to like the vastness and the grandeur of what God does all around us, we, um, mm. you know, on top of that. I mean, like still like, and I think that a lot of people think that like science and God obviously conflict. I mean, I think that people, people will make that argument. Sure. I think science is like the handwriting of guys, like the language of God. Right. I mean, it's like, we're, we're learning it and we're learning it and we're able to work with it. Um, this morning, I, I, uh, what'd you preach on this morning? What was your passage? Uh, John 16, uh, uh, where he, Jesus says, there's uh, more that I have to show you, but you can't handle it right now. Yeah. But, but what, great example of that. I mean, like that mm-hmm. passage of scripture. Alone. Yeah. This morning I preached on, on Psalm eight and it's the, um, 
uh, oh Lord, how majestic is your name above the earth. Um, and, you know, I, when I consider the moon, the stars and the writing, uh, you know, or, or the, and the mountains and the beauty of everything, um, it makes me think, who am I? Uh, it mm-hmm. makes me think, who, who is man? Who is human that we would, that you would care for us and that you would mind for us. And um, one of the things I was thinking about was how you know, David writes this Psalm, you know, we think it's David. Um, writes this psalm and you just have to imagine david writing a song millennia ago right looking up to the heavens mm-hmm. and seeing the stars and having no idea really what a star even is right a millennia ago right. and not really certain if they're just like little pinpricks of light of a heaven beyond this not you know i mean there's there's just a very david's a smart person great uh writer but like doesn't quite have the science background that we have today Right. And the idea of like where we are now with understanding where stars are. And one of the quotes that I, one of the things that I pulled out was um, just talking about how, how, how far the closest star is from us. Um, the closest star, I don't even have it right here, but let me just, um, I think it was the closest star to us is Alpha Centauri, which is yeah. 26 million, sorry, 26 trillion uh uh, miles away. It's 4.3 light years away. It's 26 trillion. If we traveled at a hundred miles an hour, obviously we could travel faster than that. It would still take us 29 million years to get to that star. Like, I mean, at a hundred miles an hour, right? I mean, just to kind of put it into a concept that we can wrap our heads sure. around. And this idea of like, yeah, we can do these amazing things like fly planes, but oh my goodness, but how much bigger is God? So still yeah, so absolutely. Right? Like, I mean, the idea of us getting to that star, uh, what, um, yeah. the idea and that's us, one, that's the closest one out closest of one, right? trillions. Yeah. Icarus is like the, the furthest one. And I can't remember that's, that's something I don't remember. It's in like the millions of light years away from us. Like, um, and yeah. the idea that, but the fact that we've created, um, we've created devices that get us in, that get us to see Icarus and get us to see Alpha Centauri up close. And we've created devices that, we're starting to, I think, scratch the surface of God's creation. And maybe we're not. Maybe mm. we're scratching the surface. Maybe we're not. I don't know. But yeah. the wonder of it all and the imagination of it all and the idea that like we're, we're, we're the more we learn and the more we push our limits, we might start to get a little bit of a glimpse for just a hot second of what God mm-hmm. is looking at. Um, that's awesome. That's yeah. kind of my yeah. me. More to what no, you're that, saying. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right in line with... Um... You know, what we it was it was Trinity Sunday today, uh, and um, our sermon again. It was that passage where Jesus is talking to the disciples in the farewell discourse, and he's saying, "I've, I've got a lot more I want to teach you, but you can't handle it right now." And he's talking about giving them the the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit, uh, to help guide them into this wisdom. And we talked about you know how how God has been understood all throughout the millennia. You know. Before there was Abraham, it was, you know, in the, in the ancient Near East, there's just this understanding of a pantheon of gods, you know, 2,400 gods for all these different things, big things, small things, whatever. And then, and then you move on to Abraham and this idea of monotheism, what one God, and then Moses and holy moly, this one God has a name and he's talking to me, like what's going on here. And then, and then, um, you know, we, we have, we have Jesus who is the, embodiment of this one God and who understands right. this one God's heart and comes to, to show it and, and live it and reveal it to us. And then, and then we understand that there's something God-like about Jesus himself, but wait a minute, how can Jesus be part of our one monotheistic God and then the Holy spirit? Now, 
wait a minute, now this whole three in one thing. And then we arrive to the doctrine of the Trinity, which is, you know, amazing. And and so all these arrows keep pointing us toward this fuller and fuller understanding of God. But are we done? Mm. Because I guarantee you at every step along the way, humans thought we figured it out. Got it. Same got way. Them right where we want them. Got them right where we want them. Yeah. yeah. Figured the earth, yeah. same way the earth was flat. We figured it out. Wait, Galileo says maybe it's round. Oh, good. We figure that out. Well, Isaac Newton says that there are these universal laws. Well, then we, okay, we'll go with him. We figured it out. Well, now Einstein comes along and starts talking about how Newton's laws are, are great within our earth, but when you take them and try to apply them to the greater universe, maybe they're not so universal. And, and so we, we have the theory of relativity and, and uh, all these laws for big, massive um, objects of, of matter and how things function Uh, out in in space on that grand scale that you're talking about. But then we realized that, wait a minute, those same laws don't apply to things that are really, really, really small, you know? And uh, so quantum physics comes around and and, and we start developing new laws for that. And, And now physicists are trying to figure out, well, how do we tie all of this together? And so they're looking at string theory and maybe that's finally the one answer that explains everything, you know, but but, but I don't know that it is. It's like the mm-hmm. more that we learn about fill in the blank, mm-hmm. science, the universe, earth, God, the more, the more we know, yet also the more mysterious it is. The more we know, yet the more we realize we have so much more to know. And I love, I always think of Richard Rohr's quote about God as mystery does not mean that God is not knowable. It means that God is endlessly knowable. And Mm -hmm. I, I just love that endless knowability of God. And I think that we see that in our human desires to that drive us to build things like these amazing aircrafts that can, you know, push Mach 10 speeds. Um, And just how great would it be if we also follow that same passion to learning more about who God is as father, spirit, and son, and what that means that I am made in the image of that God. And what does that imply for how I should relate to my brother or my sister who is also made in that image? If, if we could focus that same amount of drive and passion um, on, onto that level uh, that, that really can make a cosmic difference, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it'd be amazing. Yeah, man, that's a that's a beautiful image and progression of things. I mean, just the idea that I I can't remember who said this prayer, but it was like something about God. I may not know your heart, but the fact that I'm pursuing your heart and trying to know you more, I hope pleases you. It sounds a little bit Mm -hmm. like Merton's thing of like I don't know where I'm going yet. The fact that I'm, um, you know, I don't know where I'm going, but the fact that I'm going somewhere, whatever I think desires or pleases you, Um, it's a similar idea of like I don't know. I want to learn more about God. I want to know more about God. I'm not going to stop pursuing. I think it, it's, it's, it's not sinful, but it is a short changing of our life in God. If we try to not know God anymore, we just say, well, it's not, can't know anymore. Um, yeah. But at the same time, that endless knowability of the idea of like, we know we're never going to get there. Yeah. But the fact that we're pursuing it has to in some way be pleasing to God. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Love that. Well, like I said, I was just going to mention that real quickly. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, you nailed it. You got a quick thing to really kind of hit on the part there. So, well, the, the only last note that I had uh, to, to tie all this up is, is about nostalgia, which I think is appropriate because, you know, I don't know that Top Gun Maverick would exist 36 years after the original, if not for the emotion of nostalgia and the power of nostalgia. And I think, say what? Nostalgia is a dangerous thing. Exactly. It's a dangerous thing. It's, it's a beautiful thing, but it's a dangerous thing. And I think it's a thing like many beautiful, but dangerous things. You gotta enjoy it with moderation and you gotta know what's enough and what's too much. And that's what I think help makes helps make top gun maverick work so well is it plays to the to the nostalgia we get the callbacks of the musical theme we get the the uh highway to the danger zone which may or may not be the best title for that song uh (laughs) we get a beach sports everybody's shirtless and oily and looking amazing in the sun setting and all this sort of we we get one of those things we get talk to me goose we get a lot of these things that harken back to the original but we also don't belabor them we you know you hear uh highway to the danger zone only for just that little bit during the opening credits and um and we don't try to go back and address every little thing from uh, the the former uh, movie, the previous movie. You know, we introduce all these new characters, and I just I think that if they relied more heavily on, you know, we didn't get take my breath away. Uh, yeah, I was like shocked that we didn't get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah we didn't get that. We didn't got get uh, you lost that love and feeling. Love and feeling. Um, yeah. and so they used it very um, judiciously, I think, and and it and it worked, uh, it worked to their well. advantage. But uh, you mentioned nostalgia can be dangerous. How how can it be? Well, I think that sometimes, I mean, nostalgia, um, it, obviously, is like looking in the past with rose-colored glasses. We, we've, we've kind of heard that phrase before. But I, I also think it's nostalgia is remembering a past that didn't exist. And mm. part of me, the danger of this movie was, I remember this movie being, the original, being a lot better than it was. And I went back and watched it. I was like, this is not as good as it, I thought it was. In my right. mind, I was like, oh, Top Gun's amazing. And it's yeah. not like, I think that it's true for the church too. I mean, I think every church has a back to Egypt committee. Um, and, and, uh, and it's about, like, you know, we used to do it back in the day. Um, and we're trying to bring that committee back, um, or that, you know, that, that initiative or whatever. And it's true for the church, not just individual churches, but it can sometimes feel the church true for the church in general. And just thinking like that God's done what God has done, God has done. And therefore there's nothing more to know about God. There's nothing mm. new to done about God. And there's, and that's a danger for the church and danger for, the ch- again, the church universal, not just like individual churches, but the fear that we've seen the, that our best days are behind us. Yeah. Um, but there's a way in which we can use the past and we can use, I wouldn't say even nostalgia, but we can use our understanding of the past. The past, all of us have a past, all it's, and it affects us whether we like it or not using it as a history to build upon, right. And to build the next layer and to build and to kind of reach further and further. Um, and I think that Top Gun did that great. I mean, they took, they took the, the, the beautiful moments of that movie. They didn't belabor them. They knew that everybody kind of wanted to see it. It's like when a band uh, does a concert and they're releasing a new album 
Mm-hmm. Man, if you don't play some of the favorites from the previous album, you've lost that crowd. Uh, yep. Like that, crowd. I don't go here. Uh, Paul McCartney to hear his stuff that he made with Wings. I'm going back to hear Paul <laughs> McCartney right. from the Beatles, right? Um, and or you know, fill in the blank band, whatever your favorite band is. And that's true for the church. It's true for Top Gun. Like you got to have some throwback. Oh to life. yeah, the the truth is kind of exists forever. Um, but at the same time, you got to play it in kind of a modern in a modern way, um, and you got to play it to a to to today's crowd. Um, so, anyways, just echoing your thoughts i agree with you fully that nostalgia is a beautiful thing they handled it quite well um uh in a way that didn't didn't seem to belabor any any of the old stuff yeah yeah i think so i think so well uh let us not belabor anything then ben i think we've covered uh covered some good territory uh up in these up in these skies uh, talking about top gun maverick yeah we were definitely in the danger zone for a while Mm, we Mm. were that's right that's right it's that's right we need to quit before we lose that love and feeling uh yo bingo uh, <laughs> uh i don't know what other song would be i win oh gosh all right well we got to talk about uh where this belongs in in the canon uh yeah. does it belong in the canon and um yeah I yeah. will defer. I will defer to you. And you know, I would let love, you know what I think. But yeah, you know, Paul, I would love to think that this should go in the canon, um, just for nostalgia's sake. But I can't go there with it, man. I'm not there. I'm not sold that Top Gun is it. I think it's got yeah. some good points, but I think if you're looking for um, something that that reveals something about God in um, in a way that uh is unique or as special or as critical to our understanding of god you can you can observe this in other places um mm-hmm. this doesn't have to be in yep in the in the movies for me i'm i'm with you i'm with you my friend um you know it if, if we're talking a uh a collection of most entertaining fil- films uh most fun films to be a part of like especially top gun maverick like i cannot say how much i enjoyed that movie i'll i have seen it three times in the theaters now Whoa, you didn't yeah. tell me that yeah i know well i intentionally held it back <laughs> <laughs> now i didn't i didn't i don't know that i'm very proud about sharing it now uh on yeah. the on the podcast itself but but i i will share it i i um saw it uh you know the week that it released and then my wife and I went to see it. And then, um, my dad really wanted to see it in IMAX. And I was like, yeah, I definitely want to see it in IMAX. So he and, uh, he and I, and, and another friend, we went to, uh, go see it in IMAX and it was, it was great. It, and I've loved it every time. And I don't know that there's ever been a movie other than a Batman movie that I have gone to the theater to see more than twice. That's how that's how we know you're white. I forgot it's the Batman calling in <laughs> to, the Bat, to the Bat podcast. That was it. That was how we right there. <laughs> yeah, that was the giveaway. I'm sure uh, I had him fooled up to that point. Yeah. Um, yeah, that uh, you know, uh, dying on the musical. That was a <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's probably a good giveaway. Too. But um, no, yeah. so 
it definitely belongs on every top list that it that it's getting on but uh, i don't think that that means that we have to put it in in the canon of cinematic scripture here so uh i agree with you um so ben what are we uh what are we watching next my friend you know uh paul we have been on uh we're on a little bit of a kick right now with um with with kind of remakes of the old hits um and i think that there's one that is also up not quite to the degree and the hype that um, that uh, Top Gun was, but one of my favorite movies of all time. I think, in fact, it was it was it's in my top five of all time. Whoa! Uh, yeah, and that's Jurassic Park. I, I haven't heard of that. What's what's that about? So it's an interesting. It's it's funny. Um, you should watch it. So is that an indie film? It's an indie film. Yeah, a little known thing. It's a Woody Allen flick. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. Uh, well, yeah, about um, about being growing up in the Jurassic era. Uh, no. um, yeah. So, anyways, sounds yeah, cute. Jurassic Park, man, we got to do it. Okay, sounds good. Well, I uh, honestly, I was I was hoping you would say that because um, you know there's there's lots of good stuff there, and um, yeah, I'm 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 excited, man. Cool. We'll make it happen. All right. Uh, well, Ben, I've enjoyed it. Wait yeah. Goose. Don't call me Goose because there's one person on this podcast who has a mustache. That's very true. <laughs> and that is you. Uh, and that, that puts you in the back seat. Paul, I'll be I'll be your goose to your maverick any day of the week. <laughs> you know, you know. So you know, yeah. If that means. See. If that means that I can look like Tom Cruise does at 60 when I'm 60, then I'll take it all day long. That's cool. And I'll just be dead. Um, so, hey, Paul, <laughs> so I, you know, I'll, uh, but let's see if we can finally wrap this up and get it right this time. Hey, Paul, I feel the need. The need for speed. Yeah, that's right. Uh, all right. I knew it the whole time. 